It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week we get together on this podcast. It used to be in person, sitting across from each other, but for the last two months it's been in our own homes, quarantined away, and uh, uh, still being able to put the podcast together thanks to Rick's prowess. And so here we are again this week talking local sports topics, national sports topics. I don't know if we got ghost stories or not. I'm sure there's some questions that I need to answer and much, much more. I will start off with this, Rick. This is the happiest day I've had in quarantine time. Do you know why? Why? Because I'm going to get my hair cut today. Oh, nice. Two, two months. And, and the funny part is I don't go to like some salon, right? I, I go, I'll tell you, I go to big league haircuts in Burlington. So it's, you know, it's a it's like a sports chain. clips type place. Yes. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, and usually I can just roll from my house. It's about a two minute drive, roll up to the, to the door, roll right in, get my haircut and roll out. But I knew it was going to be different starting Monday when they opened these. So I, I called and my hope was, I was thinking, man, can you squeeze me in today? And I said something along those lines. She, she laughed and I said, yeah, that was probably a stupid question. She said, the best I got for you right now is Wednesday at 2.30. And I thought, wow, everybody wants their haircut if it's jammed up that, that quickly. So it, it's a big day for me. I'm getting the haircut and I feel good about that because it is a fire. I look like Wolf. I look like, because I haven't, you know, you can shave the beard. And I've, you know, I shave every three or four days now as opposed to every day. So I don't quite look like uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick because he certainly had that lovely beard. But if I really fluff my hair up, I think I could have the Ryan Fitzpatrick hairdo right now. Do and I do, don't want that. Do you get the wings? You look like you might be a wings guy. You get the wings on the yeah, side oh, out over the years? Dude. All right. Well, I'll tell you how bad this looked. Um, you're not a big golf guy, but I'm sure you've not. seen Phil Mickelson at times where he's kind of got the wings coming yep. out of his head. Oh, yeah. Right? And, it, and it looks yeah, awful. Classic wings guy. Yeah, especially if you're an older guy. It just looks dreadfully bad in my opinion. So I, I played in my golf league uh, on Tuesday night and, you know, put the ball cap on, which I was going to put on anyway. And I looked and I went, God, look at that. There's a wing there, a wing there. And then look at the little flippy curl in the back. Isn't that a good look? Yeah, oh. that's not great. My dad's a classic wings guy too. He gets them really good out the side when it grows out. Fortunately, that's one thing I don't have to worry about. I'm uh, that's a good. That's, I keep that's it pretty good tight. <laughs> good point. All right, I know we got a lot to get to, so hit it off, brother. All right, ESPN posted its FPI prediction model preseason rankings and projections Tuesday. The preseason ratings are based on each team's Las Vegas win total, last season's performance on offense, defense and special teams, the number of returning starters, coaching staff changes, and starting and backup quarterbacks. The Bengals are ranked 30th out of 32 teams. They're projected to win 5.6 games with an 8% chance of making the playoffs. Skinny, do you think ESPN's FPI projections for the Bengals are too high or too low? I think I think it's too low. I don't think the win total is too low because that's what we've been talking about the whole time, right? Of five, five and a half wins. Do you want to go over the five and a half or under the five and a half? Um, and it does give them a, a small chance to make the playoffs. But if, if, if you're basing it on just playoff projections, I guess so, just because of the division they're in. And they are probably behind a lot of teams in the AFC, but I don't think they're the 30th team out of 32 in the NFL. Do you? Yeah, I got to be honest. I kind of think they nailed this. I mean, that feels about right, especially when, I mean, you want to say, oh, I think there are three teams worse than them. But when you start saying what it means to, you know, win five games, then this team could easily be four and 12, right? I mean, I don't think. Oh, no no, no doubt. Any of us would be shocked by that. And if that's the case, you could easily be the third worst team in the NFL. So, I mean, all, all that seems to check out to me. Um, the 8% chances of making the playoffs, I don't know. If you would have asked me that just off the top of my head, I think I would have told you 10. So, I mean, that 
seems normal enough. I don't know how you calculate that exactly and, and what sense that would actually make. But yeah, I think the, this feels pretty much dead on to me. I, it's amazing that you can go in this, into this season feeling somewhat, I don't know if optimistic is the right word, but I guess having hope about the Bengals and, and being excited about the future while also fully realizing this year is, is going to be a rebuilding year where they're probably not going to win very much at all. Yeah, and, and if you look in the AFC, and I, I'm going to do this quickly, um, even though New England's got issues, I'm just going to do every team in the AFC and tell me when to stop where you would put the Bengals ahead of that team. You're not putting them ahead of New England, even with Jared Stidham. You're not putting them ahead of Buffalo because they're currently structured. I, I don't think I'm putting them ahead of the Jets because I think they're going to be better because Darnold's going to be continue to be better. I don't put them ahead of Miami at this point. Maybe a push there. I certainly don't put them ahead of Baltimore, Cleveland, or Pittsburgh. I don't put them ahead of the Texans despite them losing DeAndre Hopkins. I don't put them ahead of the Titans. I don't put them ahead of the Colts. I, I will say I will put them ahead of the Jaguars. I certainly don't put them ahead of the Chiefs. I don't think I put them ahead of the Raiders. I don't think I put them ahead of the Broncos. And I think the Chargers might be the second-best team this year in the AFC West, to be honest with you. They had just a goofy year the way things turned out last year. So I, I put them ahead of one team and maybe two if you count Miami. And that's just on paper, but – that's probably fair, right? And that puts you the 13th best team in the AFC. Yeah. I mean, really, the only two teams I feel comfortable saying I think the Bengals are better than are the Washington Redskins and the Jacksonville Jaguars. If and, the Gi- want- and the Giants. I feel comfortable with the Giants, too. I'm, I'm not all sold on them yet. Uh, I, I mean, I don't – yeah, but again, I'm not saying – I'm not comfortable saying the Bengals okay. are better uh, than them. I yeah, may not be exactly. sold on the Giants being a good team, but the only two teams that I say, they're a train wreck. The Bengals are definitely better than them no matter what this year are the Redskins and the Jaguars. And those are the two teams listed under them. After that, I think there are arguments for teams like the Dolphins, teams like the Giants, um, maybe the Lions you could throw in there. That's probably about it. Maybe the Jets. Uh, I might think be a team the Jets would be better. Yeah, maybe, though. Yeah, they, and they beat them last year, so okay, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there, there's an argument to be made, I think. But, yeah, I think, really, the Bengals are kind of in that that bottom tier. If you want to say the Redskins and Jaguars are a tier below them and they're kind of in that next tier, okay, but you're really kind of splitting hairs at that point. So I have no issue with saying they're the 30th team. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of glad about that. I'd much rather the Bengals finish 30th, get a top three pick in next year's draft, than finish 25th. Yeah, right. No, no, I, I, I don't think that's a, that's a, that's a bad take. Um, and, and I think it also shows you just how hard it is to go from 2-14 and 14 in a year to relevancy, right? It, it's, it's really hard because, look, the Bengals, I think we've agreed, and, and I'm the biggest cynic in the room when it comes to them, and I think I've been honest over the years in my critique of them because they've pretty much been spot on what I thought they'd been, but this offseason felt different. So it is almost like what they did this offseason is so out of the realm, we think that automatically that makes them a contender as opposed to, no, they made some moves to at least help themselves, but so did other teams, right? And some other teams were already way better anyway. So just making these moves kind of got you at least to step up the wrong, but it certainly didn't all of a sudden make you a playoff contender. Yeah, you, I think some of the moves they made in free agency made them respectable enough at positions that were giant gaping holes last season that if they get some young talent, you know, if Joe Burrow develops into the star that people think he's going to be, and if T. Higgins becomes a, another weapon at wide receiver, and, and if you find a linebacker out of this crew and, and so forth and so on the next year or two draft to go along with that, then you, you may have something in year three here. 
You know, I mean, I think that's sort of what this year's offseason moves were about. They were they were sort of filling gaps to, to get to respectability. They weren't changing the, the course of the franchise in one season. No, exactly right. And, that, and that's where um, I, I think you're right. I think that, that they, they nailed it. Yeah, 30th might be a little harsh, but the five and a half wins is about the right number. Um, you know, a, a, what is it, an 8% chance to make the playoffs. I mean, you'd have to have a lot of things go right. Obviously, the extra team helps everybody because it's one more and you don't have to go maybe 10 and 6 to get in. 9 and 7 might do it. But, man, you're talking about a seven-win improvement in one year in this league. That, that's, a, that's a big ask. No doubt. NFL owners will vote on new rule proposals at the upcoming league meeting to be held by video conference on Thursday, May 28th. One rule up for vote would give teams another option instead of an onside kick. It permits a team to maintain possession of the ball after a score by substituting one offensive play. The kicking team would attempt a fourth and 15 from its 25-yard line. This could be done a maximum of two times per game. Owners are also expected to drop the use of video reviews on pass interference after a one-year trial that caused as many headaches as it solved issues. The competition committee has recommended not renewing the rule that was put in place for last season after an egregious missed call on the 2018 NFC title game. Skinny, what do you think of the NFL's rule change proposals, particularly the two rules mentioned here? Yeah, those are the two main ones that anybody wants to talk about. Um, I'm glad they decided after the one year of the PI rule to say you know what we that, that was a mistake it, it look it was a blown call um it sucks for new orleans saints fans that they have to live with that blown call but they do and then the league i think overreacted by putting in the whole we, now we can review pass interference um etc cetera, etc cetera. now maybe there's a maybe there's gonna be a caveat that that says if it's completely egregious that's the only time you can do it but that was kind of supposed to be what last year was and it never came to that yeah see that's the problem right you can't right. put in like a common sense gate on these things where and it's like you, and it, yeah and as you recall I, I was so against it anyway I thought it, I, I thought it was ridiculous just because you're not you, you can't legislate that kind of stuff and I, I'll, I'll use Andy Dalton as an example I mean you remember the one playoff game he has a wide open AJ Green right and he overthrows him and they could have won that game against Houston he made an egregious error he missed a wide open guy that's hot human error and you don't want it to happen you hope it doesn't happen and it happened in the case of the referees and that's that's unfortunate but the overreaction to that rule from last year was absurd yeah, it didn't work out at all, and I'm totally fine with them removing the rule because it, it, it clearly was a disaster last season. It was just totally holding up the game, and they weren't going to call it anyway. I mean, they made it very clear that they weren't going to reverse their calls on those anyway, and they were kind of uh, thumbing their nose at the whole situation So, in terms of the referees, I'm saying. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad they're removing it, but at the same time, when you go back to that, that Saints play, it was so obvious. And it's like when we have this tool in place, this review tool that can be used, that feels like the exact thing you need it for. When you could see, obviously, we totally screwed this up. There's no doubt about it. Yet there's no logical way you can legislate that, right? Because you can't put like a, a common sense factor into the right. rule where you're like, okay, that's egregious, so we have to overturn it. But these other ones that aren't, egregious we'll just let go and we won't review them that's not how it works you can't you can't legislate it that way and there have been a handful I mean I go back to the there's a there was a play in the 1970s in a playoff game Roger Stahl back with a Hail Mary pass to Drew Pearson and uh, you know you look back on that game and it's arguable that Drew Pearson pushed off there wasn't a great uproar at that time about about the push off there was some of it but 
I mean, the stuff unfortunately happens and, and you just have to live with some of the officiating mistakes, just like you got to live with the players making mistakes. And um, yeah, I, I, I wish there was a happy medium that said, Hey, you get whatever X number of challenges. And yes, you can use a challenge for that if it's egregious, but there's no happy way to legislate it. There just isn't. And so I, I just think just do away. I told you, you know me, I just say do away with the whole damn replay system as it is. And let's just play the game. Uh, but I, I like this step now on to the, to the fourth and fifteen. I'm kind of indifferent on it. I I know the onside kick is hard. You know the Bengals were one of the few teams that recovered one last year. They did that in the uh, in the Miami game, and it, and it's supposedly harder now because you can't get the running start you used to be able to get. Although I, I think some of those kickers are really good at, at 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 performing magic tricks with the football, but it's a hard play, and it's supposed to be a hard play. I think fourth and 15 will be an extremely hard play. I, I've heard some people say, oh, you got to – somebody fourth and 15, I mean, that, that's not really all – yeah, it is because guess where the players are all playing on defense? They're playing at the sticks. So you're going to have to play – throw a ball into a crowded area beyond the sticks or throw it short of the sticks and hope a guy can somehow break three tackles and get, get the 15 yards. That's why – I mean, how many third and 15s you think are, 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 are converted in the league? And, and so now the fourth and 15. I'm indifferent that if you think it's for safety or you think it's going to – add excitement to the game. Oh, okay. But to me, I don't know. I don't think you follow up an offensive play by scoring a touchdown by running another offensive play. I, that, I, no, I, let's stay with the onside kick. It's, it's got its place and purpose. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not easy. It shouldn't be easy. Um, so uh, stick with the onside kick. I, I'll be interested to see on that one how they do vote. Yeah, look, I understand your point completely about it's it's not easy and it's not supposed to be easy, and I agree with that. Maybe the fourth and fifteen is a little bit too easy. I'm I'm not sure. I I'd be I don't to, think it is. I'd be willing to listen to that argument if someone wants to make it, but yeah, it's my opinion that it's it's not too easy. And here's I've always been kind of of the opinion. I mean, you're younger, you just go along with it because it is the game. But as I get older, I keep wondering more and more like why was kicking ever a part of football to begin with? Like, it seems to have nothing to do with the actual sport, yet it makes up the significant portion of the game. Now, now granted, you still have field goals and extra points, and they're still a huge part of the game, so it's, it's not like you're eliminating that by doing this. But I'm all for the idea of saying, like, something like the onside kick, which is kind of a, a weird, quirky rule to begin with. I'm all for making that more of a football type of play so to speak, which this would be. I mean, you got an offense, it's on fire, you got Tom Brady late in the game. This will be an exciting play for teams that need those last few seconds trying to make a comeback. Now, the onside kick play, I get that people say it's not safe. I don't know that it happens often enough to really be a concern. I see, and it's funny, yeah, it's funny you say because I, I hear that too, and I'm not sure, maybe in the old way where you got the running start, and, you know, guys could literally go 100 miles an hour with a running start and plow into somebody. But now it really do, does come down to the kicker finding a creative way to make that extra bounce, well, to maybe slam one at somebody, whatever. I, I think in that regard, I, I don't think – I think it used to be a safety issue. I don't think in the current format it is a safety issue. I think the idea, though, still is there are still going to be guys whose role it is on that recovery team to just go blitz and absolutely annihilate that front line of – of the receiving team to try to knock something loose. So, I mean, I get why it could be a dangerous play, but again, it just doesn't happen very often. And of all the other dangerous plays in football, this is the one that we're drawing the line on. I'm not sure if I'm buying the fact that it's a safety issue. I, I'm not 
you know, that's not really a concern for me. However, I'm, I'm totally fine with the idea of implementing fourth and 15 from your own 25 and you get to keep the ball if you get it. I'm with it. Like, I think that sounds like a fun idea. It's, it's innovative. Look, the, the people who are like NFL purists and say this isn't, this isn't quote unquote football. Like one, again, I go back to what about kicking a football on its top and trying to make it spin and bounce up in the air so you can catch it is quote unquote football. And two, like football changes its rules every single year. I mean, they just flip flop on these different little points Every single season, they made all types of drastic changes to the rules over the years. What's what's one more, and why is this one different from any other that that would make it somehow unpure? This doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I, I kind of like it. Yeah, I, like I said, I'm, I'm indifferent because I, I, I see both points of it. And, and I will say, for, for a lot of people who balked at the two-point conversion, I think it's been a great part of the game. I know a lot of people that balked at moving the extra point back. Oh, it's not going to matter. These guys will make that. Well, obviously, they don't make it quite as often, and it has become a little bit more of an exciting play. I mean, the extra point used to be such an afterthought that you didn't even bat an eyelash at it. Now it's you kind of hold your breath on occasion, especially if it's a key extra point that maybe needs to tie a game to, to force an overtime or, or uh, get, it, get it you know within a field goal or whatever. I mean, it becomes a, a big play. So uh, those were some that I think the purists balked at. Yeah, I, I'm not balking at this just for a purist standpoint. I just – I like the onside kick. Like I said, I, it's not supposed to be easy. It's not easy. Um, I, and either way they go, I don't think I'm going to get mad. I'm not going to have outrage at, at, at either way they go with this rule. That seems fairly reasonable. All right, let's switch it up here. Major League Baseball has proposed cutting the salaries of the highest paid players in baseball with the lowest paid players taking lesser cuts from their full prorated shares in its first economic proposal to the MLB Players Association. The plan was delivered to the union Tuesday afternoon and proposes that higher salaried players take significant reductions, perhaps less than 40% of their full season salaries. Players aren't happy about the proposal and believe they've already done enough by agreeing to a prorated share of their salaries that would guarantee them slightly more than half of what they're owed. Skinny, do you agree with the players that the agreement they signed in March to take about 50% of their salaries is enough? Or should they work with the owners and have the highest paid players consider taking bigger pay cuts? Yeah, I don't know about the latter statement that they should consider higher pay cuts, but I do think they need to work together. Um, I think Jeff Passan of ESPN has been a pretty reasonable voice through all of, of this um, because it's easy to lash out at both sides. Most fans will lash out at the player's side um, and some will lash out at the owner's side. And I think a lot of people who are inside baseball people probably lash out more at the owner's side and they're both to some degree in the wrong, but Jeff Pass, I think has been a reasonable voice and, the morning of we're doing this podcast, I was watching him on, on ESPN and he, he made a point of, yeah, this is a kind of a alarming back and forth, but this is kind of the, the next step in the negotiating process. Now the ball is back in the player's court. Let's see what kind of deal the players draw up. Now the goofy part is what if the players just go, no, we've already told you where we stand on this. We want what was agreed to back in March. I, I, I don't think the owners then back down at that point that I don't think we do have baseball, but I, I, I think, both sides will be reasonable enough to come to some agreement. This seems like an outlandish and over-the-top proposal from the owners. But back in the days of negotiating for a car, you know, you'd go in with a price in your mind, and Fred has a price in his mind, and his price is always way high. Your price is always way low, and hopefully you can meet in the middle. Now, today you can go to different places and just say, listen, here's what I'm paying for this car. If you don't match this price, see you later. Um, the other part, too, is uh, the players flat don't trust the owners, and the owners have earned that 
um, through the years, through collusion, through bargaining, through pleading poverty, and continuing to, to have teams pay up and up and up and up and up, and money and TV going up and up and up and up, and being able to hide money in different ways that the, the players don't trust them. And I understand that, that lack of trust. But uh, I, I also think that for some of these guys, you know, you may only get 10 mil of your 36 mil, um, but it beats getting zero of your 36 mil. I, I think I'd look at it that way. The, the issue with the original proposal for Major League Baseball, the revenue share idea, was that it basically became a salary cap. And that was always going to be a non-starter for the, the Players Association because they have a bargaining coming up in the near future, and they're not going to give away that bargaining chip right now. So that was never going to happen. So this proposal moves it off of that. And the other thing I think it tries to do is create a division amongst the players. The lower that, that seems players. to be, yeah, that, that seems to be the prevailing thought. That this this is the thing that could split the union, and that's what the owners want to do with this more than anything else is split the union. Right. The the younger players, the guys who don't have as much guaranteed money, it, it, they're kind of going to look up and say, "Come on, guy making forty million a year, thirty million a year, can't you sacrifice a little bit this season? You're still going to get twelve million or whatever it is. I'm I need to eat. I need to to keep my house or whatever. So I think that's the idea here. If I'm the players, I'm not giving in to this either. It really doesn't make any sense to me that they should be giving away money that they're never going to get back. The one thing I would come back with if I were the players is say, look, we already agreed to take about half of our salaries back in March. If, if that wasn't the plan, what, if we were going to renegotiate it, why did we agree to that back in March? We said we'll take about half of our salary because we're going to play about half of the season and so that's what they should do they should do a prorated salary based on how many games they play the one thing i think the players should consider agreeing to is if some of the higher paid players would say we'll take a deferment on our salary we'll take our salary down the line we're not giving it away totally but when money comes back to baseball next year year from now you know over the next five years however it works out I'll take my money then on the back end. I think they should figure something like that out. It, it can help the teams now so they don't need all this, this cash up front to, to fund the season. But you also aren't just out your money that you should be owed. And, and I agree that you shouldn't be giving in to billionaires who, who want to try to get a, get a break on this year. Yeah, but if you do that, then I think for some of the teams that, that – I mean, I'll use the Reds as an example. They kind of went a lot all in this year. If you start deferring money from this year into next, does that mean that you got to all of a sudden have a fire sale next year because you can't afford it? Yeah, possibly it might. But I mean, that was always, you were always kind of going to be mortgaging some of your future if you're paying big salaries. I mean, you need, you're going to pay that money either way, right? The, 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 the pandemic, no one could predict, but that's not the player's fault. The owners are in a better position to not, than the players are. Yes and no. Um, I mean, if, if there's some teams that really are going to struggle to make payroll this year, um, I mean, obviously already Oakland's, and some of it is because they've got such an awful stadium, has already, you know, missed a payment on, on a stadium lease in Oakland. Um, the, the problem is it, it's just it's hard to trust the owners because they can hide money. And what if, and I'm just going to use a what if, what if they are telling the truth of, listen, here's what we can pay this year. And in fact, we're probably going to take a loss doing it this year. I don't know if that's a fact. I'm just using it as, a, as an example. What if that's the truth? And maybe you can argue it's the boy who cried wolf too many times. And I, I, I understand that. But um, I, I think the part is it's, 
it, it seems bleak after, after Tuesday, after what was proposed and the way the players reacted and a few players taking to Twitter saying, well, if this is the case, we're not going to have baseball this season. And boy, that, that makes you get alarmed. I, I, just, I think it is a step in the negotiating process. Now, it'll be interesting to see when the players come back and what the counter is to that, or if the players just hold firm. And if they hold firm, then I don't think we're going to have baseball. I'm far from an economic genius. I just don't know. How is there not a way in which these teams can get, I mean, we're offered bailouts to all these different companies. We're cutting checks to individual Americans. How can we not figure out a way that for these years, when we know baseball is going to be able to make money going forward, it's not like this is just going to disappear and they're never going to make money again. How can we not put something in place to where baseball teams will be able to get through this one year and move on? Like I, I, I refuse to believe that owners won't be able to find someone that can work with them to keep these giant stadiums open and funded and, and people working that, that, you know, live in the city and, and work at these stadiums. I, for, for some reason, again, and I don't know the ins and outs of this. I can't give you the details on how that works. I have to think there's a way smarter people than me can figure out a way to make that happen. And, and I just, again, I don't understand why it's the players who always have to make the concession when there's these group of billionaires who have pulled together. And I'm not saying they should have to fund it out of their own pockets or they should, have, uh, yes, they should yeah, be liquid I mean, enough I'm, to pay it all themselves. I, I'm, I'm, just in, saying, I'm in that camp. Someone, someone figure it out. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think the figuring out is you've got to show the books fully and that's just never going to happen because there's just, there has to be a trust factor and there just isn't the players don't trust the owners and the owners have earned, earned that. They, 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 they've, they, that, that they've the ones that have, they've put themselves in that corner. Um, you know, I, I, I just hope that again, that, that there is some back and forth. The problem is, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, um, now, by the time the end of this week comes, I mean, we're not going to have a resolution today as even we're doing this podcast. You're going to have some back and forth negotiation. Suddenly next week we're into June, right? And the can gets kicked further down the road and you're going to need, you're not going to go to spring training for two weeks and get pitchers ready to throw on July the 4th. I mean, this needs to get done about now and it's not even close. And it doesn't sound like they're, they're getting much closer again. I still believe they will play baseball some way, somehow, but it's not looking good. I mean, it's starting to become more of a, I don't know how this thing gets done than a, I'm sure they'll get it done type scenario. Uh, from baseball to basketball, Trailblazers star Damian Lillard says he won't compete in a restarted NBA season if Portland doesn't have a legitimate shot to make the playoffs. Quote, if we come back and they're just like, we're adding a few games to finish the regular season and they're throwing us out there for meaningless games and we don't have a true opportunity to get into the playoffs. I'm going to be with my team because I'm part of the team, but I'm not going to be participating, Lillard said on Tuesday. I'm telling you that right now. Lillard said he was hoping the league would opt for a play-in style tournament involving the 7 through 12 seeds. Skinny, has Damian Lillard pointed out the big issue with the NBA trying to play out the rest of the season under a normal format? Yeah, I, I think he has. And I, I, I think... Because some of this, um, you know, for some of these teams, they're trying to to finish up kind of their TV contract money and get get that from their regional TV network. Yeah, I so think that's a big part games. of this. Yeah. So I think if I'm the NBA, I, I think I'm going to listen to Damian Lillard, and, and I'm going to do two things. I'm going to have, and I think we've talked about this, I'm going to have a very brief regular season to finish up, five games, two weeks worth, and those are basically just exhibition games. Now, for some teams like the Damian Lillard's, 
you can move up and down. I mean, for all those teams, you can move up and down the standings and, and seed it. And then I think you literally have every team make the playoffs. And some of the teams are the bottom tier teams. It's a, you know, one game play. And I'd have to do the bracketing math to how, how I'd figure it out, you know, who gets buys here, you know, is this a best of three? And is that a best of one? But yeah, I, I mean, if I'm Damian Lillard and I'm not playing for anything, I'm not playing the hell with that. I'm not going to go out there and get hurt for nothing. And that, that goes back to the flip side of, of this, of for those top teams, like the Milwaukee's and the Lakers, I'm not going to go play the Greek freak 43 minutes in a game. That's not going to affect our seed line. I need to play him because he needs to get in shape and he needs to get in, you know, basketball rhythm. Same for LeBron, Anthony Davis, pick all your stars out. So I, I, I do think that they have to get every team involved in some way, shape or form. Like I said, a two week, maybe six games, whatever it is, five, six game regular season that really for some teams is just exhibition games. Then you have those bottom tier teams play some level of playoff. Maybe it's a single elimination, in some cases best of three, and you whittle it quickly down to to the eight teams you would have anyway, and then we play our normal series from from there. I I, I think that that to me would be the way to go. Yeah, I I you know his idea of playing a play-in tournament with the eight through 12 seeds and eight is obviously the the last team to get into the the postseason. So you'd have the last place team and then the next um, four. I really kind of like that idea, especially when you start looking at the standings in the Western conference, that would include the trailblazers are they're three and a half games out right now. So them going to play, you know, what, uh, the, the number it's, they, they're saying they're trying to get to is 72 games. And right. uh, the teams that are, are farthest along are 67 games in. So they would still have five games left. Several so, teams yeah. so five game season. Yeah. Right. Um, so you're not going to get teams to come out and play five games as the three and a half games out of making the playoffs. I totally understand that from Damian Lillard's perspective. He's too old to be going out there and taking a chance on getting injured. Plus, the more you're passing the ball around, rubbing on guys, breathing on them, probably the more at risk you're putting yourself for the, the coronavirus stuff. So I totally understand where he's coming from. But if you look at these standings in the Western Conference, uh, the Trailblazers, the Pelicans, by, by the way, they have this guy named uh, Zion Williamson that I think people might want to see when things start back up. Um, the Kings are all tied at 21 and a half games out of first place, uh, which makes them three and a half away from Memphis for the eighth seed. And then the Spurs are 22 games or four games out uh, of Memphis in the eighth seed. So they're all bunched together right there. Then you have a couple more games separating the Spurs and the Suns between that 12 and 13 spot. And, you know, a team like Golden State, who has these old stars who have been injured and, and they're so far out of it at 15 and 50, they're not going to play anybody. I mean, they have no incentive to go back out there. I'm totally fine with that, leaving them at home. Um, on the eastern side of things, it's but, but if you need to get the TV contracts, though, Rick, you're going to have to get them involved, and that's where I go back to everybody makes the playoffs. And maybe it's a single elimination game, but everybody's going to make the playoffs. Oh, man, I just – and maybe you put them in some type of play-in tournament too with the others. I don't think you can do something like pool play or anything like that where you risk, you know, like your three seed, the, the Nuggets coming out and, and being a little rusty or, or they're just, you know, in a shooting slump or something, start those first couple games, and all of a sudden they're knocked out of pool play and you've got the Phoenix Suns moving on. Like, I mean, you can't if, risk Rick, Rick, Yeah, if you did an eight through 15 format – because really, if you look at the separators, there's an eight-game difference between the Mavericks and Grizzlies for the seven and eight seed. And in the East, I don't think the separators quite as yeah, it is. It's a six-game separator 
No, I'm sorry, I take it back. The Nets and Magic are tied, but they would have five games to, left in the season to battle, five or six games to, to battle that out to see who becomes the seventh seed. And that way you've got teams eight through 15 in some format. And maybe it's a single elimination where right now it'd be Magic and Cavs and Wizards and Hawks and Hornets and Pistons and Bulls and Knicks. And then those teams move on uh, to a best of whatever, best of three to move it on. Again, I'd have to sit there and do the math for how the, the brackets work out. Um, but I, I just think you have to get every team involved just because you got to finish out those TV contracts. Um, give some level of incentive to say, listen, come back for the five games to get the TV contract. You'll get you in the playoffs. You get a little playoff money on top of it um, and, and go from there. I think you have to do that for everybody. Well, and if that's the case, if they have to do it for the TV contracts, then I'm fine with opening up to 15. But if that's, you know, if that's not what they're trying to do, because it, we have seen reports coming out over the last 48 hours that it's seeming, le- seeming less and less likely that all 30 teams are going to end up being down in, in Orlando right. at, at the Disney Resort. Um, I, you know, the 8 through 12 sounds like a really good idea. Those teams are all pretty close together. They're all within reasonable striking distance, pretty comparable type teams you put them all in a hat let them battle it out that would make for some compelling television i mean heck if you if stretch it out from 8 to 15 i'd be great with that too i think that makes for really good tv and that that's kind of the issue here is you come back everyone's going to be happy to have sports back no matter what so you're going to get people viewing i understand though if the nba doesn't want to put their worst foot forward with you know none of the stars playing teams that have no business being out there being forced to go out there with the with the um skeleton crew out on the court like i don't think that would be a good idea either so i do think they need to be careful and sort of take into account what damian lillard's saying here that hey he's not going to compete if it, if his team doesn't have a legitimate shot so Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I think it. there's a, a way to do it though yeah no i i do think there is too and and maybe that's Damian Lillard's point here, and, and, and I, again, I, I completely agree with him. I, I think you have to have something to play for, or what's the point? Yeah, and it's not entirely fair to everybody else who played out the, the entirety of the season, but this is unique circumstances, and, and so I think you're going to get a unique scenario. If you didn't want to be in that situation, you should have finished higher than eighth. No, right, exactly. All right, Skinny Mike Tyson may be coming out of retirement for a hefty paycheck. Earlier this month, Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship offered the 53-year-old former world heavyweight champion a whopping $20 million to compete in a single fight for the organization. Potential challengers, including New Zealand rugby star Sonny Bill Williams, UFC Hall of Famers Cheeto Ortiz and Ken Shamrock, and former boxing rival Evander Holyfield have all volunteered to be Tyson's opponent. Are you interested in seeing Mike Tyson get back in the ring at the age of 53? And if so, who is the most interesting matchup for him? Oh, hell yeah, I am. Because, I mean, dude, he was, he was so dominant um, that he was, even if you weren't a boxing fan, he was must-see TV back in the days when ESPN would have, the, you know, have, fo- have boxing on a regular basis. Um, and he's still a compelling personality. He's goofy, but he's still a compelling personality. And... 53 seems like an old man getting in the ring, and it probably is. But if anybody could maybe pull it off, I don't know if pull it off to the the degree of winning consistently, but pull off a fight or at least make it interesting for a period of time. I know this. I I, I don't know if I'd pay for it because I'm not a pay-per-view kind of a guy. But I might have to because that's what it's going to be. I'm in. I'm I'm in for it. I I am too. Have you seen the videos of him training? I have not, but I've heard people, they can't believe how jacked he looks. It's well, I mean, the Jack thing, I understand. He's always been massive, and that's not surprising at all. Skinny, the explosiveness of this dude's hips 
And the way he like still moves side to side, ducks, and just explodes when he punches, it's insane. I mean, it, it is unlike anything I've ever seen from a dude of that age. I don't think there are guys over 40 who can move like that. I mean, he's well, at 53 doing this. Yeah, and 53 is obviously different than what I'm about to say, but who would have thought years ago you'd see a quarterback playing still at a high level in his early 30s, let alone early 40s, right? I think some of this is it's just the day and age we live in where people have known how to take care of themselves better. Um, certainly science probably helps some of that. Uh, genetics helps with some of that, all those things. I mean, there's no way that, that I would have ever told you a quarterback could be doing what Tom Brady's doing at his age or some golfers doing things into their late 40s, maybe even early 50s. And now Tyson, and, and look, again, there's probably a cutoff at some point, but um, you know, for him, uh, you, you can tell he's never been a guy that's let himself slip physically, right? I mean, not to my knowledge, he never looked at. No, and I mean, I know he, he's done other things. He did the acting and was more of like a celebrity and doing media stuff. Uh, and he's gotten back into training, so he looks a little bit different than he has maybe over the last decade or so. But it, it I, I just can't – I mean, to me, there's a cutoff line, right? Like, uh, Tom Brady is one thing, but 42, 43, up, I don't know where the number is exactly, 45, 46, somewhere in those mid-40s, it changes. You're no longer, like, kind of still close to your prime. You are an old man at some point. I mean, I don't know exactly where that line is, but – if you're going to tell me a guy's over 50 and he's still explosive as an athlete, like that's freaky legitimately using that, that adjective correctly as we understand it in conventional sports terms, that's very accurate to describe these videos. If you watch them, I I'd highly recommend you go check it out. Just search Mike Tyson. Um, they're all over the place right now. And it, I, I do want to see him. Okay. So who, who, should he fight? I named some of the guys like uh, former UFC guys. I mean, it's, it's probably going to be this type of exhibition thing where they fight three or four rounds. It's probably not going to be a real fighter. Tyson Fury said he was contacted, yeah, but it didn't he, go anywhere. Yeah, he was the one that, that talked about he'd want to do it. Um, yeah, and that's Fury want to do it because he's the best boxer in the world right now, and that's not going to happen. I mean, Br- bring out Joe Frazier's son, Marvis. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out somebody that he could match up with that you're like, he's not going to get killed here, is he? I, I have mean, one name that would make it a legitimate fight, and the dude might be crazy enough to do it just because of the cash and the star cachet that comes with it. And that is? Conor McGregor makes his return to the boxing ring. After after didn't so good go so good the first time around? Yeah, but that was against a legitimate boxer in his prime. Yes, that's true. Do, I who do you have in a Conor McGregor versus 53-year-old Mike Tyson boxing match? I got Mike Tyson with one punch, down he goes. <laughs> Are you serious? I am serious. I mean, you can't do the weight class thing, I guess. I mean, that would just be <laughs> yeah. probably illegal. Yeah, I just think that I, I don't – I think a boxer in a boxing match. I think we talked about with Conor McGregor the last time, right? If you get it back to a UFC-style one, then maybe he's got a shot. But I, I don't think he wants to have a Mike Tyson punch – connect with him in a, in a regular boxing match, just standing toe-to-toe. I, I don't think that would work so good. Yeah, I mean, the 53-year-old thing would make it interesting. But, yeah, I think, like, legitimately it'd probably be illegal to put those two in the ring against each other because of the weight class. I don't yes, know. Correct. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a big difference, too. I, I think the thing is, Conor McGregor could do it because I don't think he'd care if he got beat. And I don't mean that in the, in the way it probably sounds. Yeah, I mean, I at this he, point he's just jumped the shark as an actual an athlete. Yes, and he's that, just a that, celebrity. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Yes, I, correct. Yeah. That's my so thoughts I, too. He would do it for the payday and for the spectacle. Yeah, I, I think for for anybody, you'd have to be comfortable enough knowing that the payday would offset the embarrassment of losing to a 53-year-old fighter, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think any legitimate boxers would lose to Mike Tyson at this age. I mean, like, and I'm talking like the top guys. You're not Anthony Joshua isn't going to lose to him. Tyson Fury isn't going to lose to him. Um, I don't think most of the legitimate boxers that names that we've heard of would lose to him. But like, if I'm a fringe guy, I'm definitely not taking that fight. Or maybe I am to try to to try to bet oh, on I myself yeah, and get the, the name recognition. But yeah, ab- absolutely. I'll tell you, they got to maybe get Butterbean to come back. He's got to be dead of a heart attack at this point. Butter, Butterbean versus Tyson. I'd watch that. Is Butterbean still alive? It's Butterbean Esh, right? Isn't that his last name? E-S-C-H. Are you looking for that now? I mean, there's only I'm one li- Butterbean, my man. That you yeah, that's a, good, yeah. that's a good point. Is he still alive? He was born in 1966. Oh, he went into so, an acting career, huh? Um, so he's 53, 54-ish as well. No, it looks like he's still alive. Yeah. There we go. They just Tyson did a story versus, about him two years ago, so I think he's still all right. alive. Tyson versus, Tyson versus Butterbean. Yeah, I don't think Butterbean's in condition to fight. Yeah, I'm that's just going to say that. Call. That's probably a good call. That's probably um, asking for a death. What about Evander? Well, he said he'd do it. I know. I mean, I know. he has risen his hand. He said he would like to do it. They could fight for charity. Um, is that a compelling enough match? I think Mike Tyson kills Evander Holyfield at this age. Like I've seen Evander Holyfield. He looks good. I've seen him do commercials. He is still a fit old man, but not a guy who I think can get in the ring against what I just watched in those Mike Tyson videos. All right. What about those Mike money? Tyson videos do not look like a 53 year old man. What about money? Like money Mayweather? Yeah. Well, then you're getting into the uh, weight class thing again. I think if you're gonna, if that could happen, then I think McGregor could happen more, more likely. All right, all right. I don't think Money Mayweather would take the fight. To be honest with you, if it's about money, he might. Uh, I, I don't know. He's very selective about the fights he's taken to keep that record intact over the years. Well, I don't think he's, he's taking won. a chance on losing to a 53 year old. Yeah, but he's wise enough to bet bet against himself, take a dive, and be done with it. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, look, they're offering Tyson $20 million and th- this uh, bare knuckle fighting championship says they're coming back this week with a bigger offer that includes more than the $20 million plus donations to charity, which is something that they believe Tyson was more interested in. So, Yeah, I'd, I'd rather see Tyson boxing rather than bare knuckles. I mean, with gloves and all. I'd rather see that, to be quite frank. The bare knuckles or an actual boxing match? No, an actual boxing match. Yeah, me too. I The... Uh, Get you know, get in the streets and do the whole Kimbo slice thing would be kind of entertaining. I could see a giant YouTube career for him as the the return of Kimbo slice, but I would kind of prefer to see this as a legit pay per view in the ring. Yeah, no, I, I do. I would too. I I think I think I bet you they can pull it off. I bet you they find somebody that's compelling enough to do it. Oh, it's gonna happen. Look, Mike Tyson was born to do one thing. I mean, he was made. That's all he has in his mind to do. That's all his body can do. He was crying on Lil Wayne's radio show the other night, basically saying those exact things, saying he's nothing now and he has nothing else to live for. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of sad to listen to, but I am totally compelled by seeing Mike Tyson fight again, especially since That's he's a, got nothing else going on. Yeah, the, the Mike Tyson with an edge for the vast, overwhelming majority of his career 
was obscene. And then eventually, like anything else, you're so good that you, you lose a little edge and he gets beat and then kind of the career wanes. Maybe now at this age and this stage and dedicating himself to it, he gets an edge back enough to at least get in the ring once or twice, make a little bit of a payday and, and prove to himself whether or not he can do it again. All right, let's wrap it up here before we get to our uh, Ask Any Anything segment. A charity match featuring Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning drew the most viewers for a golf telecast in cable history on Sunday with the match two attracting 5.8 million viewers for Turner Sports. Woods and Manning topped Mickelson and Brady in the matchup. The 2010 Masters previously held the record for viewers, drawing 4.9 million on ESPN. Skinny, did you enjoy the match two skins game between Woods and Manning and Brady and Mickelson? Not, not initially. It's funny. I, I turned it on, watched a few holes. It didn't hold my interest initially. I kind of waned away. I came back, um, you know, then saw the hole out. And, and then all of a sudden on that, that hole back nine, th- that actually became pretty fun to watch. It became a, a, a legit match. And you could see the competitive side and everybody really start to come out. And then, to me, the, the whole, the par three, it was either 16 or 17. I'm drawing a blank on which, but it was the par three where, um, you know, Brady throws a dart, Manning throws a dart, Phil throws a dart, Tiger hits the green, but he has the worst of the, of the T-shirts of, of, of anybody. But to watch Brady and Manning on 174-yard par three playing with two of the all-time greats and throw darts in there like they were pros themselves was just stunning to me. And I know those were only one shot, but – you know, they each had their moments. Um, I, you know, I, Peyton actually has a nice looking golf swing. And um, I heard somebody the, the day after talk about, you know, this is not an easy course either. Now, I know they were playing a tee box up and everything, but the front side, I, I don't know. It just, it didn't grab me the way I thought it would, but then the backside, and maybe it was the alternate shot format, which I love. Maybe that's what did it for me is um, there was a little more pressure on each player to make a shot um, as opposed to occasionally letting the pro carry you or guys getting a shot on the front side and, I think Peyton on one hole, he stuck one eight feet, and technically he was getting a stroke, so he's laying net zero on the putting green. That's a pretty good place to be. Um, but I did enjoy it. I, I, I wish it hadn't rained. I thought that took away from it a little bit. Um, and I think the great part is what it did for charity. I mean, goodness gracious, that that's the part that, that we all need to take away from it, I it's think. over is, $20 is, million? Dollars? Uh, insane. Um, I, I thought that was the, the, the really cool part to, to it is, is how much they raised for charity. But I, I thought it was fun. I, I thought it was a fun thing to watch. Would I watch it every month or every week? Yeah, probably not, but for this time, this place, and for what it did and uh, who it was, yeah, I thought it was fun. Yeah, this is like the perfect thing to do next time we have a pandemic. <laughs> it's perfect if nothing else is going on. This is the type of thing you you want to watch. Uh, for me, yeah, one, I'm not a big golf guy. Two, it just doesn't keep my interest enough. And part of that is the fact that we've already seen it once. Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson just aren't big enough personalities on camera to carry this thing when right. they're golfing. And they, right. they may be great guys off the course, but while they are locked in and doing their thing, they get too serious and they forget to interact. And Tiger is just kind of a nothing in terms of his presence on camera. Um, even when he's getting in a good jab, it's like quick and quiet and off screen. And they're like, the announcers were having to point it out. Like, oh, did you hear that? He, he said it's going to be in a fairway on hole seven. You know, like the announcers are pointing out Tiger Woods just made a joke that you guys didn't catch. So that's kind of the issue with doing this with these guys. Tom Brady and Peyton Manning carried it in terms of the actual commentary yes. and, and making yep. jokes. Um, a few things. One, I did like all the tweets about the way the guys were dressed. Um, people talking about how divorced Tiger Woods looks was hilarious. I thought um, I, the, the amount of dad jokes between these guys out on the course was just absolutely stunning. I mean, it was like 
it felt like you were just sitting at a grill with your dad and your uncle listening to them talk for two hours. It was just nothing but dad jokes the entire time, especially Tom Brady. He is really, really corny. Oh, very, very. Yeah, I thought the uh, the hole where where he holed out from what was it maybe a hundred yards or something? Yeah, yeah, yards. out of the fairway. Yeah, I thought that was that was a pretty cool moment, especially after he had been so bad. But I thought the best part of the whole broadcast was the celebrities that were like texting in and being like, "Hey, you know, hundred thousand on this if you do such and such." and uh, sort of sending in their own bets as it was being played out. I thought that was pretty cool because all these guys are so well-connected and, and so famous. Yeah, yeah, Brooks Kepka, I think, got the ball rolling with a lot of that. Um, and, and as much yeah, as but, I, I mean, I heard Russell... Jimmy Fallon at one point. Yep, yep, um, yep. You know, Charles Barkley was obviously part of the broadcast, so he was doing that. He, he got well, the ball he, with and Tom he, he helped too. Yeah, yeah. And, Tom, and, and, and Charles helped carry that broadcast a little bit too at times. No doubt. I mean, he always does. He is he is fantastic on pretty much anything he does, whether it's the college basketball, the the NBA show, obviously, or even the golf stuff that he's done. He's he's always entertaining. Yeah, like I said, I mean, if if this was um, if this was a random November, well, it couldn't be because of those guys, but just a random Sunday off season type of thing for all these guys where they're playing this. I, I don't think it would be com- as compelling, but I think in the time and the place and the circumstance, and again for the money that they raised, I, I thought it was great. Yeah. I would agree with that. All right. Time for everybody's favorite segment, hashtag Ask Any Anything, where you send us your topics, questions, links on the internet, whatever you want to get Richard Skinner's opinion on. And we will start this off with a question from Twitter. What was your first welcome to the biz moment in journalism slash broadcasting? Um, I will say it was probably back in, in, uh, in college, um, Joe Hall was coaching Kentucky and I was working for the student radio station and each week they'd have a, a luncheon and part of it was I went to the luncheon because it was a nice free lunch right as a college kid I'm not passing up a nice free lunch it was also <laughs> the fact that in the way they did it this will tell you how times have changed Rick they would have coach Hall at the end of this big long like mahogany table and the the media that were there and there wasn't a ton of them you think even back then there'd be a ton there really wasn't maybe 10 12 people you kind of gather around the table and ask him questions after the lunch was over. You'd have your lunch, kind of, you know, mingle and talk with each other, then ask Coach Hall some stuff, and on you'd go. And at the time, uh, James Blackman, um, and you may recall his son, who played, what, at Indiana, James Blackman Jr., but James Blackman played at Kentucky. Um, And James was a freshman, I believe, this year, maybe a sophomore. I want to say it was his freshman year. And he had played some early in the year and then all of a sudden got out of the lineup. And so I decided to finally – swallow hard and ask coach hall a question and i said coach do you think that that you know the fact that james isn't playing as much lately is going to hurt his development and he dismissed me like i was some peon and i'll never forget jerry tipton who works for the lexington herald leader and i don't think he was taking up for me i think he actually because i you know you, you at the time as soon as he answered the way he answered i thought man that that must be the dumbest question these people around me gotta think <laughs> i'm a buffoon and jerry tipton turned to coach hall and said well, coach, do you think it has? And I went, oh, okay. I think this is Coach Hall just trying to bully a 20-year-old me. And this guy thought it was a legit question. I went, okay. Sometimes you just have to swallow hard and get slapped from the guy at the podium. And maybe it was a good question. And look, I've asked my fair share of, of not so good questions too in my career. But that was one where I went, maybe this wasn't such a bad thing after all. And if Maybe if Jerry had never done that, I'd have locked and gone, 
man, I, I can't do this for a while. I'm not going to be able to handle this. And it was a good wake-up moment for me because, again, I, at the time, Joe Hall was as big a name in college basketball as a coach as anybody. And there he is literally backhanding me at the table like a, like a small <laughs> child. And, and a guy took up for me. So that, that to me, was a, was a big one. Yeah, that's funny. But I mean, kind of a, a cool moment to go along with it. It's uh, kind of a welcome to the biz in a good and a bad way there. Yes, no no doubt. I, I The fact that Jerry did that, and I actually, when I covered Kentucky, I told Jerry that story. He didn't remember it, but um, I said that will always mean the world to me that you, you turned and did it. He goes, well, I must have thought you asked a good question. I said, okay, well, good. <laughs> You're going to laugh uh, at the one that always comes to mind for me when I think about this type of thing um, because you know her well when I was covering high school sports at one point, and this was actually before I was even covering them for the Enquirer, I was doing my own independent site and uh, it was girls ninth region tournament and Ryle was going to play Boone County. Sydney Moss had transferred from Ryle to Boone County and was the star yep. for Boone County. So I asked Boone County head coach Nell Fuchs after they win in the semifinals to face uh Ryle, Sydney's former team in the in the finals the next night. You know what what's it going to be like with them and facing off? You know with Sydney and everything. And she just snaps back at me that it says Ryle and Boone County on the front of the jersey, not Sydney Moss. <laughs> and so I mean, and that was just it. She just shut me down basically the rest of the interview. Didn't really give me anything else. Um, and I mean, you know how Mel can be. She's super competitive, super tough. I after that and I was. Yeah, and she should be the first one to come up to you maybe after, the, after that and go, hey, you know what, maybe I was out of line. I mean, well, she, that, yeah, but it's right. That's exactly. what I was going to say. I mean, we always had a great relationship after that. I obviously didn't hold it against her. I mean, it was one of the kind of first times anything like that had happened to me. So at first I was kind of like, whoa. Um, and then obviously I, I realized what was going on there and, and she was right. She didn't want me to print something that was going to be, you know, it was kind of new on social media. I think she knew her kids were the only ones who paid attention to what I was doing anyways. It wasn't like, the uh, the parents were reading me yet because it wasn't in the newspaper. <laughs> so I think she just didn't want me putting out there on social media that some big headline about Sydney Absolutely. Moss and, and her former school. And that made a lot of sense to me once I thought about it. And, uh, you know, like you said, she's, she was great to work with after that and was uh, really good to me. But it was always that, that moment where I asked that question. She snapped me and I was like, oh. Okay. I, I've got one other one for you too. Oh, yeah. um, and th this is when I uh, was working at channel nine as a, as a weekend sports producer at the time, um, right out of college, I had a, I worked for the recorder newspapers um, and, and then also did sports producing on the weekends at, at channel nine. And so it was after a, a, a Reds game. And at the time, Jay Mariotti, who people may know nationally was a columnist for the Cincinnati post. And um, he and Mario Soto just had a relationship that was a relationship from hell. Um, and so after a game, the Reds lost, um, I went in with the camera guy to get some sound. And the second we went in the clubhouse, Mario Soto's chasing Jerry Mar Jay Mariotti out of it going, I'm going to kill you, you mother blanker. And I thought, whoa, welcome to a big league clubhouse. This is what goes on in here. So um, to me, those are ones where you're like, this is, this is interesting. And it might've been one of the first days I worked there that, that, that happened or first day I went to go get sound. And it was like, wait, this is what happens in big league clubhouses. We get fights every day. Um, so yeah, not, a couple not of so much. Yeah, no, no, but it was a, it was a good way to walk into it for sure. Yeah. Back then you did a little bit more now, nowadays that's pretty rare. Occasionally you yes. just see uh, like the Brandon Phillips outburst with C trend or something like that. Yeah. That's which was still rare. out of character. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, all right. What are your top wing joints? Um, Do you want me to start this off because I've already done a list recently on my uh, Xavier website? So why you join your memory? Oh, well, I, I'm going. Well, I'm going to give one off the top of my head, and people are going to laugh at me. I just I love their sauce. I could drink their sauce. 
uh, Buffalo Wings and Rings in Crestview Hills. Um, I could, I literally, and I'm not kidding you, I get them extra wet just so I can have extra sauce to either dip something else in, or honestly, I will literally drink the sauce. It's me, the medium sauce. I will drink it. You that, can put it in a, you can put it in a glass, and I would drink it. That's disgusting. No, it's not. They, they, it's uh, they're underrated. Uh, I do think they have good sauce. Shout out to Wings and Rings. Is that your number one overall wing? Uh, yes, because I love the sauce. Wow. I swear, okay. I, I I love the sauce. Believe Big it or not, sauce guy. Hooters is up there too. I just I, I haven't had gone to Hooters in my top five. I haven't gone to Hooters in probably two or three years. But I'm telling you, everybody used to laugh because when you went to Hooters, it's because you're going to go look at the girls. Blah blah blah. I'm like. Yeah, that's maybe part of it, but honestly, their wings are damn good. They were big, thick. I liked, I love the breading. Um, that's up there. Dickman's wings are way up there. His sauces, Richard Dickman's place his uh, over in Northern Kentucky, his sauce is fabulous. Um, it's not really his sauce; it's his his cook's sauce. Uh, but it's out. It's it's really well done too. Those are those are probably three for me that would be up there. What what do you got? Well, so Hooters. To me, Hooters will never be like the best wings. It's not the best quality. They're kind of weird and greasy. And They're greasy. Yeah, they're um, greasy. You know, but they are different. They're something different. When you get the breaded, original, just buffalo wings, it's something that you don't really taste anywhere else. I like them as a, a change of pace. I think the atmosphere at Hooters is terrible, to be honest with you. Like, the customer yes. service is yes. awful. They're never playing sports or the right sports at the right times. Like, it's a terrible <laughs> place to try to go watch the game. I tried to watch football there once last year, and I'll never do it again. Uh, anyway. My number one is Midway Cafe over in Fort Thomas. They do a... Oh, I haven't been there in a long time. A smoked and then flash fried, I believe is how they do it. Um, But a little like hybrid uh, smoked and fried wing that is just the best I've had. And their sauces are phenomenal too. Um, I do the Parmesan garlic there. O'Brien's in Fort Thomas also in... or I mean in Newport, but also in O'Brienville, I guess, or whatever that is. Yes, Um, yep. That would be my number two. And again, Parmesan or a spicy garlic is what I'd go with there, which is just fantastic. Um, Wild Mike's over on the west side, the only Ohio joint on my list. That is one I will cross the river. If you're a sauce guy, that's the place to go to get sauce. They have just excellent sauces across the board. Now, here's the thing. You mentioned Dickman's. I like Dickman's. I really like it because of the sauces you mentioned. I go smoke justice in my top five wing joints, though, because I like <laughs> their smoked wings. I dip them in the classic buffalo sauce, though, from Dickman's. You know what's so funny? And everybody's told me about smoke justice food. Every time I've gone there, it's been to have a drink with somebody and not eat. Oh. I'm still not eating. I know. It's crazy. It's a good place to drink, crazy. but they do have very good food. I know they do. I've got nothing but rave reviews, and it doesn't surprise me that they do have good food. But, no, yeah, I've heard nothing but, but, but great things about, about that. So uh, another place that would uh, be kind of another one just because it's different, they have, like, those super crispy wings and sort of a little bit different taste to their sauces as well as Buffalo Bob's sort of out your way. And, and uh, I guess that's Florence or – Yeah, I, I haven't been to Buffalo Bob's in a while, but I did like their wings in the day, yes. Yeah, yeah, theirs are good. And then I had Hooters as my number five, but the one I might slot in ahead of that that kind of left off the, the board here is Barleycorn's Dock Style Wings are I, very I, good. I, it's, fu- it's funny. I just had those. Literally, we, we have pretty much eaten at home for the most part, but done a little bit of carryout. And uh, a week ago Friday, we did carry out from Barley Corns, and I got the Dock Style Wings. And usually the order's too big for me to completely finish. I polished those bad boys off in a heartbeat. They were really good. Yeah. And, you know, people yeah, immediately start going, oh, what about knockback gnats? It's like, look, first of all, they can be on your board if you want to put them on your board of <laughs> wing joints. This is mine. So, second of all, I'm a Northern Kentucky guy. I've got right, smoked wings on my list on Midway Cafe as a hybrid, smoked justice as a smoked wing. Like, 
I don't need to go to knockback Nats to get a great smoked wing. I'm going to stay in Northern Kentucky to do that. So then it's not on my list. I don't, I've gone there like twice in my life. I don't need it. It's very I, good, I know people I are, I know I'm going to be thought of as weak to go Buffalo Wings and Rings. I'm just telling you, I could literally drink the sauce. In no, fact, I, I think made, if you did B-dubs, you're, you're talking about Buffalo Wings and Rings in Crestview Hills, not B-dubs. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, Buffalo Wings and Rings in Crestview Hills. Yes, yeah, no, yeah. That, that, they have a good I, wing. That's a respectable oh, choice. No, B-dubs yeah, would I mean, be a bad choice. B-dubs would be a bad choice. Um, they were, You know what they did to their credit? They served their purpose at one point. It was they a place still that do. Not a lot of people did wings. Yeah, correct. You go out, have yourself a nice tall beer or seven, and it was, it was the perfect first. I, I still occasionally will, will venture. There's one not too far from where I live, and occasionally it's the right place to go at the right time. Yeah, well, and we were talking about it with the pizza joints recently, the, the chain pizza joints where everyone, it's like the cool thing to hate on them. It's the cool thing to hate on Applebee's. I've mentioned that where I like well, no, you know Applebee's what's funny? I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad cheap beer. I'm I'm glad you brought Applebee's back up because I'm telling you, I am telling you and the audience, one of the most underrated meals is the riblets from Applebee's. I swear I believe that as God is my witness. Well, I mean, no one will ever defeat your like boneless, what they, they give, they basically give their wings away after a certain time at Applebee's. Like after 9 p.m., <laughs> yes. they just start giving you wings if you're sitting at their bar. I think they're almost free at that point. And then you can get like a giant PBR for $2. You put a little lemon slice in there. It's good luck before an NKU game to get you an extra win or two. And I ain't put a lemon nothing, slice in anything. There's nothing wrong with Applebee's, but people love to hate on it. Same thing with chain uh, pizza joints, and that's the same thing with B-dubs. Like, it's cool to hate on B-dubs, and I agree. They're probably, like, the worst wings out of the, all the wing joints, but you know what? They're still chicken wings. I'm still going to enjoy that meal. Plus, the buffalo chips are fine, and they have plenty of beers and a great TV setup to watch games, and they'll change their TVs for you. They know what they're doing there. B-dubs is fine to go to as a place. It's just not the best ways. No, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's probably a good call. All right. What's the one house maintenance item Skinny would always do himself versus hire someone to do? Mm. <laughs> and what's the Take inverse a- of that? The task you would always hire someone rather than do yourself. Uh, I'd hire anybody to get on my roof if something has to be done with the gutters or something on the roof. There, there's no, I'm not climbing a ladder to get on a roof. There's, there's no chance. Um, I, I don't mind yard work. Um, in fact, I've, I'm doing a project now where I'm digging out all of our lava rocks and cleaning them off. Um, and, and then I redid what we used to have kind of a flower, a three-tiered flower bed um, in our back. And it was supposed to be for my children to take care of, which they did. And now one's grown up and out of the house. The other one's a college student. So they're not around. So I said, tell with this. I ripped all the stuff out of there. And I just decided I'm going to pour a lava rock back there um, and, and kind of level it all out. So I've been doing, I've actually, I'm almost done with that project and then I've got to finish the front and then we're going to re-landscape the front. Um, so all our landscaping's torn out. So I, I don't want, I like yard work. I wish I had more time to do it. I mean, th- this has given me some time to do it, but if it's like a normal lifestyle for me, um, by the time I get to any semblance of a weekend, I'm so darn tired that I just can't get to it. So it, it can be, it can be tough, but yeah, the inverse for me, I mean, I'm just not a DIY guy, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm terrible with that stuff. And it's not cause I don't, I just don't know how. Um, I, 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 I don't know my, my, my dad's generation was kind of those doing it. And maybe we're the inverse of that because they would do everything. And as a kid, you didn't really have to do. I mean, the only thing, thing my dad, I think made me do as a kid growing up chore wise was he made me cut the grass. I don't blame him. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an adult male. I can, or I, I'm a, I can go cut the grass. Um, and, and that took a little burden off of him, but man, I could not do anything DYI. I am just awful with that stuff. So most of the stuff I would, I would honestly, if, if I can, I'll, I'll, I'll pay somebody to do it. Yeah. See, that's the thing. I don't know if there's a limit to, to the first question for me. Like 
the it's always the cost opportunity analysis, right? For each thing for me, it's like, if I can afford to pay someone else to do it and it makes more sense for me to just, you know, work or be on my message board or be doing something else, spend my time doing something else, I'm going to pay someone to do it. So it's always just a thing of like, can I afford it or not? There is really nothing about household chores that I like. I don't like doing yard work. I don't like doing manual labor. I don't like cleaning. Uh, I mean, if I could hire a maid and someone to watch the kids and cut the grass, I'd probably do all, all of the above. So I don't know if there's ever a limit to something that I have to do around the house. Yeah. Yeah. I have a big hill in our, our back, um, that really slopes down to a Creek. And, um, when I would cut the grass and I'll, I'll be honest, people are going to laugh when I'm about to say this, they're gonna make fun of me. That's okay. Um, you'd have to wait for it to be completely dry almost before you could cut that. Or you would be slipping and sliding and falling down the hillside. So I had a next door neighbor. They're, they're a little bit older and they have a similar circumstance. And they have a guy from their church that came over and started cutting their, their, their back portion of the grass. And they, they've been, they have kids in Atlanta. So they would travel a lot. And this guy would then, depending on how long they were gone, he'd cut their yard. And I finally said, how much to cut my hillside? He said, Oh, I don't know, 20 bucks. I said, Oh, okay, done. I said, um, how much to do the whole yard? And I got a decent sized yard. I got a fenced in area. It's a couple areas that aren't easy. The front yard's pretty easy to cut, but the rest of it's kind of squirrely at times. He said 40. I'm like, done, dude, 40 bucks you're on. And so I've last three years, I paid the guy to cut my grass once or once every, you know, week or 10 days. Yeah. See, that's the way to go right there. I need to get a grass cutting guy. I don't know. I mean, the, the yard I'm in now is so small that it's like, it's easy to do it myself. But at the same time, like if someone else is just going to do it for 30 bucks or something. Yeah, he's got, one of those nice. st- yeah, he's got one of those stand-on riding mowers, um, so it doesn't take him hardly any time at all to, to do it. It really doesn't. Um, he's a great guy to boot. I'm glad I can help out. He gets a little bit extra money in his pocket. So, um, yeah, at that stage of the game, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I mean, there's, there were times before that, like three years ago when I was coaching AAU ball in the summer. You know, I, it's, it's go to work, go to practice three days a week, leave on Friday for a tournament, come home Sunday night exhausted and start it all over again. And, you know, coaching 80 games and all the practices in the summer, I didn't have time to cut the grass. And there was one time I can remember before I hired this guy, I, I probably went three weeks without a lawn cut. And, and I, I, you hate to be that guy in the neighborhood, right? Man, so I remember one, one, I, I mean, I just got up one Monday morning, half wiped out and said, I have to cut this front yard. I have to, this is embarrassing. And so, um, you know, this, this guy's been a godsend. And then your mower stolen out every 20 right yes yes, grass yes, is too yes, high. yes exactly exactly the worst all right this is a, probably along the same lines here uh someone wants to know thoughts on marriage good idea or scam <laughs> I don't know about scam um i guess generally a good idea um yeah i'd say generally a good idea i i, I don't think you can go wrong either way i have one daughter who's uh she is 26 turning 27 she's getting married this uh this fall I have another daughter who uh, is in college as a junior and has had, you know, various different boyfriends. I thought she don't need no mans. She don't need no mans. She told me that the other day. I think (laughs) she needs a mans for certain things maybe, but she don't need no mans. Just not carrying TVs. That's correct. Um, I could see her living the single life for a while just because I think that's what she wants. She wants to go to New York and be on Broadway and be in theater. And there's no way you can be married doing that kind of stuff. So I think she likes her independence. So I, I can see it either way. And it's funny to see two different daughters with two different paths in that regard. Cause my one daughter, um, she's been with her fiance for going on what, five years now. And my other one, like I said, you know, she'll have a boyfriend for six months and decide, yeah, I'm not, I'll move on to somebody else. So, um, yeah, this, I don't know about a scam. I, I wouldn't call it a scam, but um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 
serves its purpose, I guess. I guess <laughs> it serves its purpose. What a ringing endorsement! I don't know if our I, guy there is uh, in a long-term relationship, thinking about pulling the trigger, or what. I don't. don't yeah, know where I know, he was right. coming from on that one. Yeah, the, the scam part for me, I, 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 I guess you'd have to define how it would be a scam. How would you think it would be a scam? Well, right? I would assume the money situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I guess. Um, but I mean, it feels like anymore you get two income households and you're kind of sharing the load anyway. So what the hell difference does it make? As long as I get my beer money and uh, get a chance to go play golf, um, I'm fine. I don't even want to see the finances. Words to live by right there. All yep, right. Exactly. Uh, on to from marriage to parenting skinny. Do you let your kids hang with you in sports or do you crush them? Um, well, my daughter played golf in college, my oldest one. So crushing her in golf is, is uh, I've beaten her. I haven't crushed her. And my youngest and I went and played, she played in high school, but she was not a, she was an okay, but that wasn't her gig. She's a theater kid, but we went and played a couple of weeks ago and uh, I only beat her by three shots. So, um, I think that said as much about me not playing well as her playing better, but, uh, yeah. And in the other sports, God love them is, you know, I coach basketball and, I wish they were both basketball players, but they both tried and it just wasn't, it, they, it didn't work out so good. So whenever we would play like wiffle ball in the backyard or basketball, I'd have to beat them pretty badly. I mean, you know, you got to learn at a young age. It's about competition. Go compete, go beat the old man. Yeah. You know, so like there's an, there's an age cutoff to this. I think uh, yeah, I love the hardos. They're like, Oh, I'm never going to let my kids score on me. I'm just going to block every shot. It's like, okay, what are you going to, I mean, your two year old's never going to be allowed to dunk on his little Fisher price hoop or what? Where does that, where does that start? Right. I think after your kid becomes like a legitimate teenager to where he has any semblance of height or athleticism to where he could actually score on you legitimately, then you beat his ass every time. You, it's yes. no, no mercy at that point. Like I'm giving him buckets from then on out. If my back can still bend at all at that point, because that's that's the other thing we need to talk about in a second is backs and stretching and other things. But if my back can still move when I have kids at some point in my life, I'm going to give them buckets as soon as they're a teenager and can can score on me at all. Yeah, I used to play, you know, when the girls were little, when we go out in the backyard, I had a basketball goal in, in the back. We, I'd let them play two-on-one, and I'd let them beat me up to a point. But then after a while, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to win by two in the end, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way. I remember they did beat me once when I, 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 taught, I could only take shots from like 25 feet, maybe 30 feet, and I couldn't buy one, and they somehow eked out a, a bucket where I went to steal it, and somehow my kid bounced it underneath me for a layup, and I went, oh, my God, I just lost to these two jamokes. Um, they won't let me live it down. So, yeah, I, I, I do think you're right. There is a stage where you get to where you, you let them win, but then at some point, hey, you know what? Learn to compete. Yeah, like I'll let my kid build some confidence until he's like at least 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that range, and then once he starts, you know, Wanting to want to throw a, a bow or two while going for a rebound. It's like, all right, son. I mean, I'm not going to guard him because I've never played defense in my life. I'm not going to. Well, yeah, there's that. Yeah, 40, exactly. But I'll, I'll give him buckets. Um, uh, so let me, on that note, what I need to ask you a question just about getting old because I feel like you're a good person to ask. Um, what's the deal with stretching? Does it, is it normal to just like, as you get older, you just start spending 20 to 30% of your time stretching all, all the time. And like, let me just, let me say this. 10% where that's what you're thinking about. I've never stretched in my life. Are you serious? It's all I can do right now. All right. Well, here's the, here's the, here's the funny part. So back in the baseball days, and you mentioned Nell Fuchs, her husband, Dean was my high school baseball coach. And we used to have to do the, the, that goofy stretch where you would get on your, 
knees and then you have to lean back and have your head touch the ground going backwards. You know the one I'm talking about where it yeah, felt oh like yeah. your, your quads were going to explode. Yeah. I could barely get halfway down. He would literally come by in the line, you know, and you'd be stretching as the group and he'd push me all the way to the ground and it felt like I was going to die. Yeah. That's nice. I, I, I subscribe to the John Cruck theory in life when it comes to that. Um, I don't need to stretch. I'm a baseball player. And for me, I don't need to stretch. You can't, I, mean, I don't need to stretch fat. What's the point? I totally agree. I was that way playing sports growing up. It's like, it's not like I'm out here for my athleticism. It's not like you're going to see my range today. I'm out here to throw BBs into a catcher's mitt and, and hit bombs. And I mean, right. and if we're being honest, I mean like slap singles, like I wasn't hitting any bombs, but <laughs> bombs over the third baseman's head. Yeah, like Tony, blue. Tony Gwynn yeah. type singles yeah, um, exactly. is what I'm talking about. But yeah, I don't like, but now all of a sudden, it's. I mean, I'm serious when I tell you over the course of the last week, I have spent probably 30% of my day stretching and probably another 5 to 10% of my day at my computer or whatever else I'm doing thinking about, man, I really need to stretch. My back is killing me. My, t- my hamstrings are so tight. Like, I don't know what the deal is, but all of a sudden it didn't happen until like immediately at 32. I've never stretched up until 32 and now it's all I do. I will tell you where it got me because I played softball pretty much into my late 40s fairly competitively and then got away from it for a couple of years, then um, got roped into kind of a, a, a beer league-ish softball. And I can remember um, everything felt normal, right? I was you know, warming up, throwing, legs felt okay, all that stuff. And I'm like, this would be like riding a bike. This would be easy. So first at bat, I hit a ground ball to, to, to fairly deep short that back in the day I would have beat out and would have been a problem. And I can remember running down to first place going, man, I ain't going anywhere. I'm in quicksand. What, what is going on here? And I got pegged out, which, you know, it, it's neat, you know, was a fairly routine play, but it was deep enough right back in the day, you could have beat it out. And I'm like, man, I feel great, but my legs aren't turning me anywhere. And I think that's when it finally hit me that, okay, buddy, you're close to being done and that's okay. Yeah, no. And this isn't about athleticism or trying to do anything. It's not like I'm trying to warm up to go do something. This is about living my life without like constant back pain or feeling just totally stiff and tight and sore. I I mean, skinny, I'm going up to staircases and putting like one foot four steps up and doing a little stretch that way. I've bought um, resistance tubes so I can stretch my legs up over my head while laying on my back. It's out of control. It is taking over my life. And I'm really not sure, is this going to get worse? Do I need to go see somebody? Like I have no idea what's going on. I see there's a uh, stretch lab opening up in Fort Wright. And I've asked for nothing but uh, gift cards for my next few holidays, birthdays and Christmases. It's all I want. I want to know how that goes. I want to know how the stretch lab goes. Cause I, I, I'm not to that point. I, I, you know, playing golf. Yeah. I'll get a club out and maybe, you know, go back and forth with a club behind my back for 30 seconds just to feel loose. But I think it's more for show than anything else. I just, I've just never been a stretcher. I just, I, I've never felt the need to do it. Look, me neither until August 9th of 2019, but that's, that's where it hit you. Oh, no, skinny. That's, that's unbelievable. All right, let's wrap it up with one final uh, Ask Any Anything question. This brings it back to sports. The question is, who will be the next iconic pro athlete? <laughs> I, so my I question is, do we consider Pat Mahomes iconic already? I don't know. Like he's not, 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 not yet. Not yet. Well, but he, yeah. No, I, I, I think, I think the answer is easy. I think it's Zion. I guess the fear is Zion gets hurt and that detracts from that. But for me, it's, it, it's Zion. And I'm not, you know me, I'm not a huge NBA fan. I'm a big basketball fan. And, um, 
but I, I think to me, I think, I think Zion, just because of what a freak he is, it feels like a lot of these questions come back to Zion being the answer just because he's such a freak. Oh, I, look, I, I'm big on Zion. I'm big on his potential. I would just say, like, Pat Mahomes is already there, assuming he continues down this path. Like, assuming he doesn't get hurt or just become a complete, like, flash in the pan. Pat Mahomes is already a Super Bowl winner, an MVP caliber. I know I know Lamar Jackson won it, but he's right there with him in terms of best player at the most important position. Um, it's not going to be a baseball player just because they're never popular. That's, that's correct. Yeah, it's that, going that, to be that, an that, NBA or an NFL guy. That's right. Um, no, I think, I think Mahomes is a great answer. I think the only thing is – It's one of three guys. It, it's, it, it's, it's so hard. Or, uh, or Lamar, right? Yeah, it, but it's so hard. Yes, correct. It's so hard to win a Super Bowl. That we, as soon as Pat Mahomes wins one, it's like, oh, he's going to win five. Well, it kind of felt that way with Aaron Rodgers, right? I mean, he's so good, he's going to win a multiple by himself. It, it's hard to win a Super Bowl. Is Aaron um, Rodgers an icon? No, just because he's so goofy. I, and I think I, I wonder if Mahomes, because Mahomes is, he's a nice personality. Is he a big enough personality? I think like I think he does enough stuff. And he's so talented. Like, have you seen his basketball? Oh yeah, highlights that he's had. It's just all like he's he's put out he puts out enough on social media. He's got the real flamboyant brother who's a big social media personality. Um, his girlfriend is nuts. I mean, just absolutely nuts. Uh, so she's out there and on that stuff a lot. I think he has enough. To, there's enough going on there to be kind of like a reality show, which is what we need, but from our celebrities in in 2020. Um, it, to me, it's one of those three. It's Zion, it's, it's, it's Pat Mahomes, or it's Lamar Jackson. And I think Pat Mahomes is in that position. He's closest to the position already. I think Zion has the most potential. Um, but Lamar Jackson is, is pretty close. I, I don't know his personality enough. He seems a little quieter to me, so I don't know if he has the star power. But I think those are the three guys that are really in the conversation. Yeah, and, and the fact that Pat's won a Super Bowl gives him a leg up. I mean, yeah. at this stage of the game, for, for, for sure. Without a doubt. And, I mean, granted, he's in Kansas City, but Zion's in New Orleans, which isn't exactly, you know, like a big-time media city. Um, and, but, and Kansas City loves Pat Mahomes. Like, there's that whole story about him eating dinner with his, his girlfriend and then just no one bothered him, and he walks out, and before he goes out, he just says, like, thank you. That's why I love it so much here for letting us eat. and. <laughs> All that, yeah, and I, and I don't even know if anymore you have to be in a major media market, really. I mean, obviously, no, because social media changes really. that. Social media and the fact that everything's on TV anymore, anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, it'd be you'd have to be in a major market just to get on a game of the week. Now it's, and plus they were obviously major media markets. Now it's Pat Mahomes is as well known in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as pick a pick a New York Giant, pick a New York Jet. I mean, right? I mean, it's just it's. Yeah, but why is it social media? But why do athletes still want to leave those smaller markets and go to bigger ones? Like, why does KD still leave Oklahoma City? And you know what I mean? I I guess the only thing I can think of is is you have more local opportunities for 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 sponsorship money. Yeah, because you're in a bigger market. I would just assume that the agents feel they're more marketable in those in those. Yeah, probably they're the star. Probably. Yeah, probably. So. All right, great stuff as always, Rick. Um, we will have uh, much more. We keep we keep the sports train rolling somehow, some way, and hopefully we're getting closer and closer, although I still am in that baby step portion of the program. I, I felt really – I'm not an NHL fan. I thought it was kind of cool to sound like the NHL was coming back, and then all of a sudden you see that, well, they're not going to do anything until after July 1st, and it feels like, wait a minute, they've got a plan in place, and they're still not even close. 
Yeah, so, it just and, seems and, like there's and, major hurdles for everybody still. For everybody. Yeah, for everybody. Maybe we can hold out and hope that college football actually comes back in some way. We'll see. All right, Rick, thanks very much. Appreciate it. For Rick Loring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Weekly Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri Edition.